because that's not how that test would have constructed that sentence. So sometimes you have to write a sentence, as Frank said, with humility, where you know it's not the best way to construct that paragraph. It's not going to be what maybe a New York Times article might have said, but it is what the SAT would have said, and you need to be accurate to allow students to have the right feel of the test, even in the parts of the passages that aren't directly related to questions or answers. From Test Takers, this is the Hashtag Prep Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn all the tips and tricks of SAT prep and college admissions. Welcome back to Hashtag Prep, the best podcast to get your recommended weekly intake of SAT information. And today's episode kicks off our season four. The success of any single student on the SAT is predicated on having strong game plan, a strong instructor or tutor to guide you, and probably most importantly, having good materials to work off of. And that last aspect of test preparation tends to be overlooked when parents and students start their journey. It's easy to get caught up in a conversation with a salesperson or tutor on the phone, but making sure that your student is learning from not just any SAT materials, but the best SAT materials is a needed key for success. There have been many times in my career when a student would show me a question from one of the prep books of the big popular companies out there, and the question they're showing me would never show up on an SAT. I've even seen some materials that accidentally used inappropriate questions mixed in with SAT problems, like a physics question or even an inappropriate ACT math question mixed in. A friendly reminder that though the ACT and SAT are similar, math on the ACT has much more challenging concepts like trig identities, matrix math, logarithms while the SAT keeps it heavy on the Algebra 1, Algebra 2, and some light geometry, but you'll never see something like a sine squared theta plus cosine squared theta equals 1. You're never going to see anything like that on the SAT. So this lack in quality in the materials leads students to focusing on the wrong topics and wasting precious preparation time, as well as severely impacting the student's confidence, because they're getting frustrated and missing questions on things that they'll never see. And as today's title and intro suggest, while there may be some solid okay material out there, we're talking about what makes great SAT material. And to help me break down the fundamentals, we have Frank Pamela, the president of Test Takers, and Brian Corden, the senior director at Test Takers. They both spearhead the material development side of Test Takers from determining how to structure a question to evaluating student feedback. And they've joined us to discuss all things material today. I think the hardest thing to keep in mind is the student's perspective. People who are writing the materials are generally great at doing the SAT, at least at a minimum. Uh, the hard part is thinking about what the gaps are in the knowledge of the people that you're writing for. In fact, understanding that the students themselves aren't monolithic. There are students who are, let's say, great at math who, when they come to test takers and students who really struggle with math when they come to test takers. So what we've done, and this, this has made our job triply hard, is for all the materials we write, we write them at three different levels, what we call advanced, intermediate, and basic. Advanced generally is uh, students who are coming into us with scores above 630 in the subject. Uh, basic is for students who are coming in with scores below 520 in the subject, and intermediate would be the parts in between. And we actually, for every lecture, whether it's math or English that we write, we write three different levels, and those levels really are different. To put it simply, with advanced level materials, the first thing you're trying to do is you're trying to find the little gaps in their knowledge, because there's those gaps are few and far between. And they are a little different from different for different students. So you're trying to find those gaps and close them with those students. At the same time, and I hate to say it this way, but I will, I'll be direct, you're trying to knock the chip off their shoulder a little bit. Many of the high-scoring students come in think, thinking that there's nothing more for them to learn to improve their scores. Some of them mistakenly believe, oh, just a little practice will solve all that. And it's not. They're, they're going to have to 
to address some uh, weaknesses and occasionally some very subtle gaps that they have in their knowledge. So for advanced, you're trying to hit those gaps and you're trying to knock the chip off their shoulder. With basic, it's almost the reverse, okay? What you're trying to do there is find a few basic concepts, fundamental ones that show up on a lot of questions and hit them repeatedly and hard, okay? So that students who find math challenging will be able to grasp those. And in doing that, you're also trying to build confidence, okay? Sort of the opposite of what you're doing with the advanced students. I don't want to say we're trying to shake the advanced students' confidence, but we're definitely trying to get their attention to say, there's some stuff that you need to learn if you want to take your already super high score. Remember, the, the, the base for math is over 630. So let's say a lot of our advanced math students have a, um, say a 720 coming in. To get a 720-800 is, is pretty hard to find the stuff that they're missing. Uh, and we need to initially get their attention by having them miss some questions in our lectures. And that's something that we do. As I was walking into the office today, and even as I was leaving late last night, I saw that you two were working diligently on something new and spicy for test takers. So while it's still fresh in your minds, in a word, what makes SAT material great? That one word you're looking for, there's accuracy here in terms of replicating the test. You mentioned before the other books that students can use, and I've seen the same thing you have, where students will come with this question. Let's say, for example, it's a reading question. SAT reading is such a hyper-specific skill, and it's not anything like what's being tested in high school, uh, where you're really getting into inference and deeper meaning and metaphor. The SAT is a literal literal, literal test. It's a scavenger hunt, essentially. So you'll see sometimes on these poorly constructed materials, these questions that involve this level of inference or depth of understanding, that's not what the SAT is going for. And actually, it creates worse scores because now students are thinking they need to use certain skills that they not only don't need, but actively shouldn't be using on the SAT. So you have to really understand not only what makes the right answer right, but why wrong answers are wrong. And in a subject like math, you have to determine, for example, well, where might students be likely to make errors on this question? How are these wrong answers going to be generated? So we've got this math question, and the answers aren't just an arbitrary right answer plus three wrong answers. Those three wrong answers probably come from really important mistakes that a student might be making, forgetting to distribute a negative, forgetting to distribute a coefficient across parentheses. So understanding right answers and wrong answers, and then whether or not to include those common mistakes. Sometimes the SAT intentionally leaves out those common mistakes from wrong answers to force a student to realize, oh God, I made a mistake because my answer's not there. What do I need to do to fix it? So the level upon level upon level upon level of going to these questions is so much deeper than people think. And it requires really fully understanding what is tested on the SAT, what's not tested on the SAT, and making sure students know basically what their enemy looks like, because you shouldn't be fighting a, a battle when you have no idea what it is you're looking to fight. Yeah, there's one thing I always tell my kids is every wrong answer has like a specific purpose. Like in math, if you do put the wrong answer, did you either misread it or did you just fall into what we call our Joe Bloggs trap, the, the tempting answer that they're trying to trap you on? And if those answers aren't there on your practice materials, then you're just practicing incorrectly, essentially. Yeah, you really have to work to get kids out of bad habits and bad materials will reinforce bad habits. So if you think that the SAT is an inferential test and you take these bad tests as practice, you're going to do even worse on the real thing because now you have been practicing a bad skill. Uh, you know, there are some kids who've been taught, for example, um, 
that sometimes word is misspelled in the grammar section of the test. Now, of course, none of them are. But if you're not a perfect speller yourself, you might think you found a misspelled word and think that that's the error that you're supposed to be looking for in the sentence uh, when it hasn't been there. And not only is it a colossal waste of time, but it actually can mislead students whose spelling is less than perfect. That's just one example of many where materials that are not really geared to exactly what the SAT is doing can not only be a waste of time, but as Brian said, can actually be at times uh, destructive. So one of the things we've done is, for starters, create a huge database of all the questions. At this point, there are 22 tests that have been released under the new, when I say new format, I mean the one that um, came out in 2016. And we have uh, created databases and have exhaustively studied each of those questions along many, many different dimensions, not just what category the question fits into, uh, but what methods um, might be useful in solving them, how long the question is, all sorts of different uh, 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 dimensions. And the result is that the materials that we're writing really reflect things that have appeared or on occasion are very likely to appear on an SAT. And that's why their Diag 4 score is the last test that our students take with us right before they go and take their official SAT is within range of their actual scores because our materials are that accurate. Uh, you know, good material writing, though, is even more subtle than simply finding which concepts come up most frequently, which our database does tell us. But, for example, it's not just a question of how frequently questions come up, but it's how often they are missed by students, which will differ a lot from level to level. Further... It's also a question of when it, a concept is taught. Some concepts are more memorable than others, okay? What are the chances that when taught this, that the students will grasp it and will remember it five weeks or so later when they take the SAT? That's part of our calculus. And the last part is, <laughs> how long does it take to teach that concept? Well, it may, that may seem uh, quite esoteric, uh, a criterion to use. The fact is, in any reasonable SAT prep, you have a limited amount of time. And you could teach a zillion concepts, but the question is, which ones are giving you the most bang for your buck for the amount of time that you spend teaching them? So we use really a combination. It's almost like a, like a formula. How frequently does this question, does this concept appear? What percent of the kids at this level are missing that question? What percent of those kids that we're now teaching it to will remember whatever we're teaching them five weeks later when it's on the SAT? And then divide that all by how long is that taking? So how many, how many points per minute are we getting by teaching a certain concept? And that's something that we think of and that sort of underlies our materials at every, at every point. I think it's a subtlety that escapes a lot of other people who write SAT materials. Yeah, a lot of other companies are going to go for breadth rather than depth. And depth is really important. As Frank said, you can teach a zillion concepts, but what happens when the student gets the tests and can't remember them all because you overwhelmed them? Your, your materials were oversaturated with too much. And that's why we have these different levels. Uh, what we're going to teach in an advanced class is going to be very different from what we teach in a basic class, not just between the, the actual difficulty of the concept being taught. We might teach advanced kids about a discriminant in a quadratic, whereas we might not do that with the basic student because it's probably too advanced and won't show up on questions that they're likely to supposed to answer in the math question anyway. But it, also in the number of concepts that we might teach each class. For a basic level class, when you try to teach them 12 different concepts in one class, you really run a serious risk of them coming away with learning nothing because they were oversaturated with just too much. 12 concepts in one class is too much. So yes, might they potentially see Sokotoa on the SAT? Yes. But 
is it worth including that for that one question that they might see at the risk of the few other concepts that will show up many times that if we give enough reinforcement on them, they will now be getting right. That's really awesome, Brian. It's about reducing the noise, I like to say, that when you're taking the test, you don't want to have all these different ideas popping. And that's one thing I've always liked about our material is that it is this is a very direct, proper way of tackling these problems. No matter what the problem is, you have a solution for it. Versus if you see a proportion problem, you do this. If you do a synthetic division, you have to remember that. And some of these concepts these students learned in school months ago, yeah, we'll show them techniques at test takers. But to recall a very specific fact from months ago, you probably won't and you'll stress out about it and you're wasting time on the test. Versus if you're at test takers, you have your game plan, you have your techniques, you have your plan, and you're studying from your good materials there. One of my guiding principles has always been teach them as few things as possible before the test. Now, you're going to have to teach them some things for sure. But the more you can minimize that, the more they go into the test with a clear mind instead of a mind that has crammed full of specific, very narrow ideas, uh, the better off you're going to be. Uh, to be honest, the new test is a little bit of a challenge in that direction. It, it, it forces you a little bit more into actual conceptual, let's say, in, particularly in math, some conceptual math that did not occur on the previous uh, uh, administration. But it is still our guiding principle of how can we teach them as few things as possible, which means that the things we are teaching them are broad and powerful. It's one of the reasons that we in math, for example, emphasize test-taking technique, which which will apply to a large swath of problems rather than teaching them the specific math on how to do each one of those. But above all, um, if I had a piece of advice for a, for a budding uh, materials writer, it would be this. Avoid hubris. The fact is, you are probably great at the SAT. I can take the SAT math sections in about one-third of the time that you're allotted and still get a perfect score, eight minutes for a 25-minute section, for example. But that doesn't mean that you understand how you're going to improve the score of somebody who is a lot less capable at that subject than you are. In fact, in certain ways, your great ability might be a hindrance in doing that rather than a help. And that's something that I think, as, a, as a, somebody who writes his materials, uh, it's, it's a, it, there is humility that must be involved because you will see your writing and realize it's not landing with students in exactly the way you intend. And that's a constant, constant battle in writing these materials. A big part of that, what Frank is saying, will show up and say, for example, the reading passages, the passages in writing. Everyone's so concerned with the questions, you forget that there's actually white noise in the passages themselves. And if you inadvertently write sentences that are too long or use vocab that is too advanced, even though there's no question about it and it has nothing to do with the actual points being gained, you run the risk of having students freak out during the passage and then spiral and lose time, feel like they don't understand it. So we know down to details how long should the average sentence be in a reading passage? Uh, what kind of vocab word? When we construct answer choices, right, or wrong answer choices, we look at, is there any word we've used that might be too difficult? Do we have precedent on an SAT for this word being used? Or are we bringing in our own advanced vocabulary and sentence structure into this test? And we shouldn't be doing that because that's not how that test would have constructed that sentence. So sometimes you have to write a sentence, as Frank said, with humility, where you know it's not the best way to construct that paragraph. It's not going to be what maybe a New York Times article might have said, 
but it is what the SAT would have said, and you need to be accurate to allow students to have the right feel of the test, even in the parts of the passages that aren't directly related to questions or answers. So Brian, Frank, thank you guys for joining us for the season four premiere of Hashtag Prepped. Any advice you'd give for students who are looking for great SAT material? Just use real college board tests. If you're trying to take this test, be really wary of any company that's just looking to get a buck out of you by mass producing a lot of practice tests. I would be really concerned about their accuracy and your ability to have the right feel for what is actually tested on that exam. Since the College Board releases official tests uh, for not too much money, actually online you can get them for free, uh, there's no reason not to use those tests for practice. I would also add on top of practice, which should be done with those official materials, on top of practice, you really are going to need some instruction. It's it's very hard to bootstrap yourself on this particular test. And so you're probably going to need some uh, really precise and um, helpful instruction, which is really the kind of uh, material that Brian and I uh, tend to write. And if you're looking for that precise and helpful uh, instruction, feel free to reach out to us at ttprep.com or at preppedpodcast.com for show notes, resources, and even a free SAT preview. My name is Naka. With me, we have Brian and Frank. And this has been Hashtag Prepped. Hashtag Prepped.